0: gathered in love and service for justice and peace. After last Sunday morning's wonderful worship service and sweet baby James's dedication, followed by Vera's joyful ordination service, capped with the first ever right hand, left hand, right leg, left leg, hold self, well shaken, hokey pokey of fellowship, I boarded a United flight for San Francisco for two days of meetings for interns and their supervising ministers at the Star King School for the Ministry. Despite the fact that I was in a middle seat, I slept deeply for the entire flight, only to be awakened by the pilot on the PA system, thanking the passengers who had restrained the disruptive passenger, and apologizing that we would have to remain in our seats before deplaning while she was escorted off by law enforcement. I'm not sure uh, that I should admit to you that I was seated in the row number 25, which is to say that a mere seven rows behind me, at most, all hell had broken loose, and I slept through the entire scene. On Tuesday morning, CNN reported details that included said disrupted and inebriated passenger both lighting a cigarette and trying to open the cabin door to exit the aircraft. (laughs) I do not have a good record of undisturbed plane flights. For example, one totemic story in our family is that of a woman seated behind us who had a full-blown panic attack somewhere over the Atlantic, en route from Paris to Boston. When, distraught, she tapped Kem on the shoulder and asked, do you speak English? Kem famously replied, pointing to me, no, but she does. (laughs) And so my first thought about my sister passenger, now handcuffed to her seat as we prepared to land in California, was that something had happened that I hadn't had to fix. Others, in the great tradition of September 11th's United Flight 93, had stepped forward. I don't know whom to thank, but I thank them with all my heart. On Tuesday morning, the news carried another far more uplifting story. Above the fold, the headlines on the front of the Oakland Tribune proclaimed, it's never too late to demonstrate. The University of California had announced it would raise a grove of trees to make room for a new $125 million sports training facility, parking lot, and offices. In early December, a group of protesters took to the trees. Six of them are now living in them. Here's the latest on that story. Wearing sensible shoes and ear-to-ear smiles, Berkeley City Council member Betty Olds, age 86, Save the Bay founder Sylvia McLaughlin, age 90, and former Berkeley mayor Shirley Dean, age 71, climbed a metal ladder into an 80-year-old live oak on Monday morning. Two of the three women are older than the tree itself. Together, we have nearly 250 years of political experience. Nobody's going to cut us down, and nobody is going to cut down these oaks, said Dean, standing on a wooden platform that had been secured between tree branches. Olds, 86, was the first to climb the ladder Monday, and she said she did so without hesitation. I've climbed trees all my life, so I don't mind, she said, before going up. Next went McLaughlin, 90 who said she hadn't climbed a tree since she was a teen. That was back in the 1930s. (laughs) I think these trees should be saved. This is a green, peaceful oasis, she said, and up she went. Dean, 71, was the last up the ladder and joked repeatedly about how coming down was going to be much tougher than going up. The three women stayed in the sprawling tree for more than an hour. Much to the cheers and applause of environmentalists, UC Berkeley alumni, and gawkers who offered to order them pizza for lunch. Save the Oaks organizer Doug Buchwald said, this is a very important event to have these respected political leaders in our city taking the risk of going up into the trees. I don't know if when I'm 90 years old, I will go up into a tree. But after seeing them, I think I will be motivated to do so. I, too, am deeply inspired by the courage of their conviction. In this case, I know whom to thank, and indeed wrote each of these three great leaders this week, expressing my deep admiration and great gratitude. Also on Tuesday morning, I had the wonderful occasion to join five other ministers at The Vault, a pretty sketchy name for an unassuming breakfast cafe in Berkeley, What drew us together is that each of them has come through Arlington Street over the past several years to go on to serve as Unitarian Universalist ministers. Some of you will remember Christopher Holton Jablonski, serving at the UU Church of Berkeley. Lauren Smith, now finishing her clinical rotation at the VA hospital in San Francisco. Lisa Sargent, now serving as the UU chaplain at Planned Parenthood Golden Gate in San Francisco. And our intern ministers, Mr. Barb Grieve and Kelly Weissman Asperth Jackson. This is probably the first time that we've all been in the same place at the same time, although we hold very dear that which holds us together, Arlington Street Church. Later, I reflected that in this group of six Unitarian Universalist ministers, ages 25 to almost 50, were represented one and a half heterosexual couples, one mixed race, one mixed faith, one transgender, two halves of lesbian couples, one UU, one mixed faith, While keenly aware of who wasn't represented at the table and missing them dearly, I saw in the diversity of our configuration that we are doing something very good here, something very important toward realizing a vision of heaven on earth. The through line of these three vignettes, airplane heroism, elders in trees, and sitting around the welcome table, The through line is civility. Cell courtesy, email etiquette, door holding, relinquishing a seat, looking people in the eye when we speak to them, saying please, saying thank you. Being aware of who and what is affected by our actions. This is civility. I'm not thinking about politeness per se, although that's part of it. I'm thinking about the commitment to the first and seventh principles of Unitarian Universalism, which is to say, first, the practice of honoring the worth and dignity of every person, and seventh, the cherishing of interdependence. Gil Rendell is the author of The Multigenerational Congregation, Meeting the Leadership Challenge, he expresses concern at the way people speak to each other, especially across generations. His sense is that we tend to view the way we live our lives as a corrective to the excesses or limits of those who came before us and sometimes to those who are following us. Our behavior toward others carries with it some judgmental righteousness. This is based, he says, in a culture of individualism, which is to say that all of us want it our own way. And the culture helps each of us to have our own way by, se- by separating us into our own tribes, where we feel comfortable on an island populated by similar people who also want it their own way. Our own way. Recently, Gil Rendell writes, I sat in a movie theater in front of a man whose cell phone rang midway through the movie. He unhesitatingly answered the call. In a group setting like a movie theater, whose audience satisfaction depends on the individual's willingness not to talk, this man apparently had no doubt that his personal phone call took precedence over the audience's purpose of watching a movie. Randall cites this as evidence of the extent of uncivil behavior we tolerate because the individual has learned to take priority over the needs of others. Yale Law Professor Stephen Carter notes that what is missing from culture behavior that produces incivility is a sense of sacrifice, specifically the two components of generosity and risk. Generosity where there is cost and trust when there is risk. Civility invites us to stretch to generosity beyond politeness and trust beyond the status quo. This is where congregations come in. As a spiritual community, we are called to civility. When we gather as a people of faith, we are countercultural. We say no to the societal norms of individualism that stress competition and playing it safe, and yes to the practices of generosity that make a difference and trust that invites us to risk. To keep from backsliding, from defaulting to individualism, each of us is invited to step up to the plate and lead by example. Gil Rendell believes that civil behavior from our leaders sets the community standard, but that change comes from the edge in all systems. My spiritual companions, we are the edge. The ways we live out our values in the world, the way we make manifest our affirmation of love and service, justice and peace, starts with how we live them right here, right now. From 3,500, 35,000 feet up in an airplane or 10 feet up in a tree, right down to the breakfast table, our devotion to the inherent worth and dignity of every person and to our deep interdependence is founded on the spiritual practice of civility. We are counter Let true generosity and real risk begin with us. Let us lead from the crest of that breaking wave. May we be, in the words of poet June Jordan, the ones we've been waiting for. Amen.